Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Amelia. And I'm your host, Billy. And we're watching Ghost in the Mystery Machine. So the first thing I want to say is that the cold open of this episode is great. I really like seeing this this version of the possessed mystery machine. I love how battered it is. I love how like intensely it's going after the gang. I love everything that the cold open promises. I just don't feel it pulls together in the way that I really wanted it to. I hype up the idea of the mystery machine fighting the gang so hard in my mind. Like, to me... Why do you want the mystery machine to betray them? Because it is such a place of safety and refuge. To, to bring it back to Doctor Who, this is like if Doctor Who had to fight the TARDIS. And how many times has he had to do that? Several times. But <laughs> more from the inside, more like dealing with the ramifications of the it's bigger on the inside idea. Or one time it started getting smaller on the outside. And that, that was very funny to watch. But. You know, it's really not as big on the inside as he hypes it up to be. It's pretty damn big. From what I've seen of the earlier seasons, it is a wood paneled control room. Yeah. And then, like, two bedrooms in the back. He goes, well, he goes... It's about the size of our apartment. <laughs> is there a limited amount of the TARDIS that fits in a BBC studio? Yes. But there are other rooms. I would actually super recommend uh, the, the a book that I believe never got released called Campaign. Oh, well, why don't I just it's, go find this lost well, out there. It's, it's out on the internet, but it just, it, it deals... It deals with TARDIS shit. It's super cool and trippy. Uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Ghost in the Mystery Machine, where the mystery sh machine... Mish, mish. The, the mystery machine. It's a hard word, like a hard phrase when you keep going with it. Where the mystery machine is uh, out to get the gang. And that's what we see right in the cold open. As I said, it's a great little scene continuing a string of episodes where the gang actually appear in the cold open, which I think is also important to mention. A string? Isn't this number two? Two can be a string. You get two cans together on a string. That's a telephone. So I call you from the other room. That's how you communicate at your job. City of Toronto doesn't have landlines. It has no, cans. No, <laughs> they go all through this beautiful city of ours. That's how we're podcasting, actually. Listen up to your bean can. It's time for Scooby-Doo's <laughs> or Scooby-Don'ts. Would you like a premise so we can actually start talking about this thing? Uh, yeah. Fred's worst nightmare comes true when the mystery machine turns against him and the rest of the gang. But is the van really possessed? Or is there some other, less supernatural, explanation? And let's unpack how every Scooby-Doo premise can end with that. <laughs> Let's not it, unpack that, because we don't have time for it. Is it really a space kook? 
<laughs> or is there some other less supernatural explanation? I feel like I can never fully get behind that the thing that Fred loves most in the world is the mystery machine. And this might go back to the fact that during the Richie Rich era, like, he just handed it off to Gave Shaggy. Gave the keys to Shaggy. Like, that was Shaggy's fan. I feel like it wasn't until What's New when we got a sense of, like, okay, this is Fred's fan. Mm-hmm. Fred bought this with his money. But then you get an episode where the mystery machine turns against them with its mean, its green, it's the mystery machine. And he he's kind of, like, stays a fair amount of chill about it because he's like, well, it's just a van. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to paint it red. I mean, what what was the movie where Velma was in tra- the Transylvanian movie where the van blew up and that was just Fred done for the whole thing? No, he was still act he was actively participating in society still. It's just when he remembered his van, he got Right, sad. he got a little wistful about it. In Mystery Incorporated, like, he blew it up for the betterment of well, the universe. Well, okay, I will also say that I feel like that was a sacrifice. That that it, it meant a lot to him. But I also agree. I prefer where the van is just something that's meaningful to all of them. Just putting it on Fred and having Fred have such an innately, like, I, I love the van and only the van connection. It, it dehumanizes the connection that he has to the, the other members of the gang. Like, does he really love the van, or does he like just putting in stupid upgrades? He just likes... To turn it into a, a fighter jet. He's or a, a gadget submarine. man. Yeah, that could be it. I mean, let's... let's t- we're, we're talking about the Fred factor here. We're, we're on Fred, right? The oh, please God, tell me that that whole screen of blue that you have there is not... Everything you're about to say, because I have one note from Fred. Okay, well, it's a, it, then let, let me start, and then I'll let you have your note. No, I Fred just, can't drive stick. That is the one thing worth noting. It's pretty important to note that, eh? He even says, stick shift, what is this, 1974? I can't drive a stick. I love that they went with 74, a number that I believe has... No meaning within Scooby-Doo mythos at all. Like, it must have been a temptation to say 69. Both for the fact that it's when the series began and it's the sex number. But, but no. I, I just want to mention something in that cold open. To, as the tease for this episode, where I feel I was a little let down, Fred looks at the mystery machine coming at them, and he wonders what he has unleashed upon the world. But when we actually see what's happening with this possessed demon, Fred's no part of that. Fred bears no responsibility for anything being unleashed. It's not. So is, is he just talking about, like, the upgrades he did on the van and, and now it's been corrupted? I mean, it's not like he had the van destroyed and then he summoned a demon to possess the <laughs> yes. body of the van so that the van was still alive. Please, like, this resurrect a, my baby. This isn't a Constantine storyline. He kind of just, like, lets his van that has helicopter modifications get possessed mm-hmm. by a demon. And it does kind of feel like his whole what have I unleashed upon the world. It's a little... It's, it, it's not on you. It's not on your shoulders. Hillbillies with rocks that they can huck at it will take down your van, let yeah. alone the fucking military that the country you inhabit 
has access to. And, and here's the thing. Fred doesn't, like, he doesn't try to stop the van through violent means. He really only tries to stop the van, like, through his, his big Dom energy. Like, just giving it a stern talking to and standing in the middle of the road. And he, he's just shocked that the van doesn't respect that. I'm also going to shout out Fred's fantastic running speed. We see Shaggy run all over the place, but this time Fred is at a breakneck run, and and he's doing a really good job of it. I will fault him for running into the cracked side of the mountain. I understand that that the van can't get in there, but, like, do you want to get avalanched? Because this is how you get avalanched. I had big, like, I had claustrophobia fears myself from them being in there. And it's just, it's not a good spot for you to run them into, Fred. And I, I think I also just want to talk about Fred's potential death scene. When he finds the, uh, the remote control under the dashboard of the mystery machine, and he finally regains control of his baby, but it's right as it's going over a gorge, and for just the briefest of moments, we do mourn Fred. Yeah. I mean, we knew this one, we knew he was coming back. The van flies. It's, it's not a crazy thing, but the other members of the gang had a moment. Once and again, it was nice to see. We're stealing from Mystery Incorporated when you think him and Daphne are yeah. in a fucking suicide bomb that is the van trying to save the rest of the town from their forced Nazi labor camp. Now, that was heartfelt. It, that was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there's, this is what I was thinking about recently with Be Cool, it's the fact that Mystery Incorporated took place in that one hometown and that they had, like, a world and families and, like, a recurring life. You just, you cannot replicate those stakes. That's the one thing that Mystery Incorporated, I, I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna shine a light on that series in particular, and we do, it's, be it's because of its stakes that everything felt meaningful. Well, I also feel like on the other end of the spectrum, you can no longer look at them as a group of orphans, of, like, found family, just traveling everywhere together because they don't really have anywhere that they have to be tied down to. Right. Because we've seen just enough of their family here to know that they're just stupid, spoiled, rich, white kids from suburban America that happen to have a van that they can drive around in. <laughs> a bit, and it's not... And, like, their parents are still gonna Venmo and, them mm. money for dinner. And here's the thing. Back in the classic series, it was, like, just, like, a shitty van that was all they could afford, and it broke down all the goddamn time. But here, it's like, yeah, Fred has the money to just give it constant upgrades and, like, it, like, venerate it as a classic car. So, yeah, the, yeah the, what the Mystery Machine symbolizes has changed greatly. Either these kids have got families that they love very much and they don't want to see a trans-dimensional being destroy, or uh, they are the complete opposite and they are all orphans that found each other through the collective tissue of now, being orphans. Now, admittedly, ha have, we, have we seen any of Fred's family in Be Cool? Am I just forgetting a Fred-centric episode? I, I don't. I think we can still headcanon Orphan Fred for Be Cool. I don't want cool. to. I don't want to put anything endearing on this version of Fred. I okay. don't like this Fred. This is this is the worst I've ever seen any of these characters. So all right, we 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 save Orphan Fred for times gone by. 
Who would you like to talk about next? Uh, Shaggy and Scooby. I've got nothing for them, as they do nothing. Well, at first, early in this episode, they talk about dreams, and how Daphne cannot be dreaming right now, because dreams are only about eating food, or not being able to eat food. They don't take this as just their own experience, they take this as an objective fact about what dreams are. They also try to get out of, of doing anything with the mystery inside the museum, because as, uh, as they say, clues are outside sometimes. <laughs> Which I like as the flimsiest justification. Yes, yeah, clues, that's true. Clues are outside sometimes. Maybe we check there. And something, I mean, admittedly, I do only have a few notes here for Shaggy and Scooby, but an important one I do want to bring to the forefront is that during one scene, Scooby uses his tail to slide under a door and unlock it from the other side. And this felt like something that we would have seen, like, back in the 1970s. Back in the era when his tongue might be eight feet long and we don't know why. But they, they, it just felt Wait, a little more playful look, with Scooby's form. His tongue was 80 feet long in that gypsy camp because they were all tied up to a post, I think, about to be sacrificed. <laughs> and That's Scooby no, it needed is, <laughs> to unsnake his tongue. It is no excuse. No excuse for what his tongue did. No, but we do in this instance know what that tongue was about. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, the, the, the Daphne dilemma. I hinted at it a little bit, but her Daphne du jour is that she thinks all of this is a dream. And it started because she sees some pretty rocks. <laughs> Look at those rocks, it's just like a dream. Don't... I'm s are you only dreaming of rocks? And then I feel, okay, I feel like this wasn't necessarily going to be her thing today. But then she got called on it by Shaggy and Scooby, and she's like, oh, you think I'm not dreaming? Well, you know what? Now I most definitely am. And, you know, the fact that the mystery machine is possessed helps play into that a little bit. She gets a sword at one point. Can't complain about that. Does that play into her dream delusions? Like, where would I have gotten a sword if it's not a dream? I think so. I don't quite remember it. I, I, my next note has to do... I don't think do... there's any explanation for the, the katana that she finds. She just grabbed it in a museum. Look, if you're in a museum, you they gotta defend yourself. They weren't in the museum yet. They were in a random set of labs. Weren't they like archaeology labs, though? Doesn't mean that a shiny, I, I sharp katana yeah. and or broadsword is going to be around. It was the Meldon Archaeology Laboratory. Look, archaeology is not just swords. Mostly it's about begging rich people for money so that you can go out in the hopes of finding swords. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. I want to talk about Daphne's sports car. Because at one point, she sort of does drop the dream angle, and now it's all about the fact that she has her mom's car. Uh, her mom has a custom-made drag racing sports car, and she goes through about five or six of these a month. And it is a stick. Fred can't drive it, so Daphne has to drive it. And we get a car chase. And like the last episode where I was talking about car chases, I really wasn't feeling 
the car chase at first, and, and it was disappointing to me, because if you're going to make the mystery machine the villain of your episode, you gotta make that car chase good. I do think it picked up once they hit the mountains, and they were sort of, like, you know, driving through those canyons and weaving in and out. It felt like it gained a little more perspective there. It got a little more Mad Maxi. But don't, a little don't more, drag a the little road more. Warriors, good name into this. I mean, I didn't say Fury Road. I just said Mad Maxi. I don't know. I, I that that is an angle we have not truly had in a Scooby Doo series. Where is my heavily car centric Scooby Doo? Where every episode is a chase, not in a mansion, but vehicular manner. Now it's all well and good that Daphne has access to fancy sports cars, but. How did she magically summon it? They go into a museum for about ten minutes, and then when they come out, the car is just on the on the road, with the keys still in the ignition. We don't even get the joke of, like, a butler having dropped it off, and yeah. then they drive away, and the butler's just like, I didn't bring my bus pass, and, that like, has to golden. walk back to Daphne's mansion or some shit. Do you remember Daphne's butler back in a pup named Scooby-Doo? She had a butler and pup. If she had pup. a butler, then I can't remember. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was that. It was like that exact recurring joke that he would just come and bring her things. I don't think it ended with him like standing there with his arms up in the air, being like, "How do I get home?" But it should have been. My last note for Daphne is the very end of the episode. After we think Fred might have died, Daphne actually seems affected by that when he comes back. She hugs him, wraps her arms around him tightly, and says, don't do that again. I think it's done in a very meaningful way. But it's not quite earned in any interaction they have outside of that exact scene. I don't know if that would have worked if we didn't have 50 years of history. And last but not least, and last but not least, the Velma vision. This bitch opens this fucking episode with the line... You should look at me with awe and respect. <laughs> I knew you would hate that. Yeah, no, suck a dick, terrible Velma. <laughs> she she reads ancient Malala, I believe is the language name, and she thinks that should be impressive. Which, like, yeah, it is, but don't make us bow down and worship you for it. She tries desperately to convince Daphne she's not dreaming before Daphne does something terrible. And I think that should be pointed to as an admirable trait. Why does anyone even care anymore? If they just ignore Daphne, it will go away. They proved that with the mime episode. True enough, but I don't know. if I'm just If Daphne thinks she's in a dream and now she has a sword, I think it's a good idea to talk her down. Velma's height is inconsistent in this episode because of an opening shot where she is sitting between Daphne and Fred in the van. If you look at Velma when she's standing beside them, her, the top of her head comes to, like, Daphne's nose area, so you can assume without the height added by that rockin' haircut she has, <laughs> she probably comes to Daphne's chin. Unnecessary burn at her hair. But sitting in the van between Fred and Daphne, Velma comes up to, like, Daphne's tits tops in one of these shots. It is not this shot, so don't you... Dare okay. say anything, no, Billy. No, I was going to say... Mister, I'm opening my mouth and inhaling in just the way Amelia knows I'm about to say, well, actually, look at her. She comes up to Daphne's tits tops, and it's like, 
Why is she so short? She's a literal child. Fred does not allow Velma. Her booster seat? Her child safety seat? Because she's a little baby? Fred does not allow Velma to sit on the seat. Velma kneels on the floor of the mystery machine. And that's, that's specifically why Fred doesn't know how to drive a stick, because he's used to Velma sitting there. You mean kneeling there? Yep. I count a kneel as a form of sit. Uh, my last note for Velma is that because they don't have the mystery machine, at one point, they all get on Velma's back, and she runs them to their next location. And you know what? We had so much fun when we originally saw this back in the classic era. I don't blame them for having fun with it, because Velma's a fucking tank. And admittedly- They've already made a joke and be cool that she's not. She groans in immense pain when everyone climbs on her back. She moves very slowly. The joke in the original series is that, like, she she can stand with her hands on her hips and then every other member of the gang can <laughs> pop out behind her because she's so stout and built like a fucking brick house. I think it's just the fact that they do it. The fact that they get on her and they expect her to go. I don't know. I'm I'm fine with this this little reference. When the mystery machine first becomes possessed and they start going up, they get like 400 feet up before Velma's like, "We got to make it go down. Soon we won't be able to breathe." Why does she think Fred hasn't installed like an outside air source that they can survive on? Have they not been underwater in this stupid well, fucking magical mystery bus that they all drive around in? They were in space at one point. I'm, I'm pr- they, they might have, have had helmets. Suits on okay, them. that would have made sense. But for a specific example, they have been underwater in the mystery machine. Yep. Why wasn't Velma more upset that, oh my god, you don't have an outside air source? We're all going to slowly choke to death on carbon monoxide. It's good, and it's it's going to be a while. I mean, if I remember my Bones episodes correctly, there is one where they're trapped in a car, and they they last a good long while. Minor mentions. And I didn't quite get names, so I'm going to have to consult Scoobypedia for this one. It doesn't matter what any of their names are, they're meaningless. There is a detective... Detective Rowan. I told you to skip the names! Detective Rowan... No! ...got promoted after... The last mystery that the gang solved in this town, where they unmasked the broccoli monster. He has since been promoted to detective, and he fully acknowledges that he is completely unqualified for this role. So what? He's just a regular cop in that regard. No cop is qualified to do cop work. I really felt there was going to be something more going on with Detective Rowan, and I'm going to disagree with Scoobypedia here. Because if you look at Scoobypedia under Detective Rowan for suspects, it says his possible motive is to get promoted again. I say no. I say he would be harboring a slight resentment at the gang for getting him promoted to a job where he he was comfortable at his old job. He got promoted, now he doesn't know what to do. And he resents them and he wants his revenge. That's what I thought was going to be behind all this. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a black man. Do you have any notes for this guy? That's Mr. Mellon. He is the uh, the head of the archaeology labs, and he is forced into hiring a security firm because of what happened at the museum. And do you have anything to say about that security guard while we're talking about characters that are meaningless? Uh, she is a she is a woman. Her name is is Lori Walsh, I believe. <laughs> 
<laughs> Whatever. Yeah, sure, Lori. Moving on, Dr. Bloom. Dr. Bloom is ready for an emergency evacuation. He has a lisp, he is two feet tall, he is balding. This guy must get so much pussy. He jumps on Shaggy, much like Scooby would at the first sight of danger. And he's a tiny little guy. Alright, but let's let's ignore those minor mentions, because they really are useless this episode. And go to the villain. And I don't I don't even know what I would call the villain of this episode. Okay, the, the there's, force? Does there's it have a, name? a box, and within the box was a book, and the book was cursed or some shit, and now a demon is looking for it or something. I don't know. It's a... It is a spirit that's yeah. possessing anything. It specifically could possess both living and inanimate forms, which, again... That covers you, everything, it does, does it not? It does, but it sets up an expectation that's not fulfilled. Where in this episode does it possess a living form? I wanted to see Scooby's eyes glow red. But that's not what we happened. Even despite it being a cursed book, we got no Dead by Dawn moment. We cowards. I will praise, though, I really like when the evil force rainied all about the room before trying, like, choosing its final form. I liked that shot of the, like, like... Okay, the Raimi shot always happens low to the ground, and if it's not chasing Bruce Campbell through the walls of a cabin, what is the point? I count any first-person perspective shot as a Raimi shot now. <laughs> no, because you know you know what? In Spider-Man 2, Raimi makes some excellent Raimi shots during the Doc Ock scene. So I will, I will, I will stick to this, and, and I love using Raimied as a verb. So, I I appreciate the Raimying. There was a better Raimi shot way back when, in like, I, one of the first episodes of the Richie Rich Hour, I believe, where we were in an Egyptian tomb. Every Raimi shot is good. Okay, and he, here's the thing. The gang are called in because of this evil force, because of it's what it's done, but it seemingly has not actually left the room with the book before it possesses the mystery machine. Like the a, book is at a museum, Billy. But it's I wasn't even half paying not the, attention well, to the, this book. The, bo- the box. The box. I apologize. I'm mixing up the book and the box. The room where the box is, the force has not left that room. Uh, and it goes to the mystery machine seemingly because it is the most powerful protective shell it can find. Uh, and I'm going to say as, you know, as the monster of this episode... Uh, there are some things I liked. I liked the Mr. Machine not being able to get into certain areas. That was good. It had a very clear strategy to escape. And I liked how at other times it like flew and circled around. But I did think it got up, it got beat up real quick. It didn't really give me a reason for why it was so beat up. It was sort of like not beat up before, beat up in the museum, and then back to normal afterwards again. I wanted, there was no real corrupted form like I was promised in the teaser. But what, what is this really? As the premise says, what, what, is the, is there some other less supernatural explanation? Look, I don't know why you asked me because I'm going to give the bare bones definition of what is occurring and then you're going to jump in and talk over me for five minutes to explain it in more detail as if anyone fucking cares. More security! Uh, more security. 
That's it. The, it's a scam. The bitch security guard wanted to hire out more of her security guards. There was robots and a common Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> as if Wi-Fi could drive a van. Is that feasible? No. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm joining in on the chorus of this one. It is not feasible. Is the evil force scary? What did I write the mystery machine in the last episode where we saw it doing exactly this? Probably not very high. And if I, you know what, whatever the number was, have it. Because this is the second time I've seen it, so I'm getting diminishing returns. That makes sense. No, I'm not going to look it up myself when I no. rated it. Uh, I will give this one a five because I really, you know, I like the mystery machine as the villain. There were those points that I liked about it actually, like, getting them into those little nooks and crannies. But I think overall, I have high expectations for what a gang versus mystery machine episode should look like. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's a floral van. <laughs> How scary is that going to be? Do you have any other general thoughts or feelings? No. I liked how Daphne was involved in the driving at one point. That was cool. But yeah, I'm, I'm just going to let you know that our next episode is Naughty or Ice. Presumably, um, I guess the gang will go to Russia and get involved in a hockey tournament if we're remaking What's New Scooby-Doo episodes. Yes, it seems that we are. <laughs> Ghost of the Mystery Machine, Amelia, is it a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? Do I have to say it anymore, or can I just abstain from saying it out loud to spare both yours and John Coltonberry's feelings? Because it's not going to get any better from here on out, bud! I call this episode a Scooby Maybe. It's a step up from Omelets Are Forever, but we're, we're not hitting what I saw in Grease is the Word. Gang, if you'd like to reach out to us, we can be found on Twitter. I am at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia, and we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Doos. And on that note, that's it from Scooby Dooby us to Scooby Dooby you. Do you have any parting words besides be I besides being pissy that I've cut you off at the the thirty minute mark instead of letting you talk on for like twenty five more minutes? No, because I don't I don't want to just be the one talking either i sometimes our episodes go half an hour that's how it was when we started the show so that's how long it is